On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we talk with Lorraine Sink, author of Powers of a Girl and the host of Marvel's Earth's Mightiest Show, Marvel Minute, and so much more. Plus, we celebrate the milestone midnight release of Detective Comics number 1000. Now, straight from the Computer Science Department at Empire State University, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! Hey there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 39 for April 2019. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that are cool and noteworthy and deserve to be celebrated. Do both yourself and myself a favor and subscribe right now to guarantee that you never miss an episode. At 12.01 a.m. on March 27th, Detective Comics number 1000 went on sale at comic book stores across the country. This publishing milestone is significant for a few reasons. One, because Detective Comics is the series that gave DC Comics its name. And two, because 80 years ago, back in 1939's Detective Comics number 27, Batman made his debut. And 80 years after Gotham City socialite Bruce Wayne first donned the bat cowl to fight crime, the character remains one of the most popular and top-selling characters in publishing. No superpowers, you know, uh, years of training, just using his, his, his brain and brawn, but not Kryptonian brawn, uh, just man brawn. Jeff Beck is the owner of Eastside Mags in Montclair, New Jersey, and fields a steady flow of customer requests for bat titles. Tom King is doing an amazing job with the book, so I think right now the most, probably the most requested is just his stuff, you know, the new stuff that comes out, um, you know, people who have heard that his stuff is really good and now, and, and now what? 67 issues for Batman Rebirth or a thousand for Detective Comics. They want to jump into well, he's not writing Detective, but still, uh, for the main title, the people want to jump into that. Even without current Batman scribe Tom King, Detective Comics number 1000 is a good read. An all-star lineup of writers including Brian Michael Bendis, Kevin Smith, and Paul Dini tell a series of short stories illustrated by talents like Neil Adams, Jim Lee, and Alex Maleev. And the stories do a great job of focusing on Batman as the detective, who is typically the smartest guy in the room, and is playing about 10 moves ahead of his opponents. It's a worthy landmark issue in an 80-year history full of fan-favorite epics. My favorite Batman story just has to be uh, The Dark Knight Returns. It's just, it, it, it's quintessential. It, it still has, it's still the point of debate even today when people just say this is definitively why Batman is better than Superman at any, at any point in time. If the enthusiastic crowd of fans at Eastside Mags, a crowd that continued to grow after midnight, is any indication, 
We have many more years ahead featuring the vigilante justice of the Dark Knight, his crime-fighting prowess, and the many incredible gizmos he employs to bring down his rogues gallery. Best has to be the Batarang. The Batarang. Because it could just be like, the, there's a story, the 1,000 Batarangs I have from the Silver Age, and it just, it's like so many variations of it. It's like sharp ones, explosive ones, ones for the rope. It's just like, so it's just like, it could do anything. I just love it. So happy 80th birthday, Batman. If you were standing beside me, I'd congratulate you on the many creative iterations you've had over the years, the reinventions throughout the decades, but I know that as soon as I turn my back for a moment, you'd disappear. Usually that would mean that you're tracking down a lead or keeping vigilant somewhere amidst the shadowy spires of Gotham City's skyline, but hopefully this time it means you're headed back to Wayne Manor for the night. I'm fairly confident Alfred has a cake with a lot of candles waiting for you. Gather the balloons! She's... Send in the confetti! Confetti balloons? Lorraine, what are you doing? Send in the clones! Odin's raven. Hi, I'm a blast from the past, Lorraine. And I'm in issue number one of Langston. And this is Earth's Mightiest Show. If you're a Marvel Comics fan and have watched any video content at Marvel.com, there's a very strong chance that you've enjoyed the work of Lorraine Sink, either as an editor, a writer, or one of the most prominent and enthusiastic cheerleaders and evangelists of the material that comes from the House of Ideas. Lorraine is one of the most prominent voices of Marvel New Media, particularly as one of the hosts of the weekly online episodes of Earth's Mightiest Show and the Marvel Minute. She is the senior creative producer at Marvel Entertainment and in her spare time wrote the new awesome celebratory very funny book celebrating the female characters of Marvel Comics Powers of a Girl and I'm assuming she has somehow magically eliminated the need for sleep. Congratulations. Oh, Lorraine, you. welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts. Yay, thank you so much. That was such a, a beautiful introduction. I appreciate being an evangelist. <laughs> I, sure. I like that. That feels right. Yeah, yeah. it does seem right. I, I see. There's a, there's a, the enthusiasm and en is endless, and I appreciate all that um, for so much of the content that's coming out. So I want to talk to you about your origin story. Mm. Um, I know that you were deep into the New York improv comedy scene for many years, as was I. Uh, so I'd like to believe that somewhere in the middle of playing a game of Zip Zap Zop, you were bitten by a radioactive copy of Final Cut Pro and therefore began creating videos at a super heroic pace. Am I at all correct? Uh, you're very, very close, oh, actually. Um, there was no, nothing radioactive, unfortunately, mm. but um, no, when I was doing improv in, in the scene around New York, uh, I met an old friend named Michelle Ciotta, and we both really liked to geek stuff, and we would talk about geek stuff all the time. That was just kind of what we did, and we'd hang out a lot. We're like, we should vlog, we should talk about this. Let's mm. do this on camera, and she was a wonderful video editor. Uh, at the time, I was not a wonderful video editor. I'm a much better one now. Um, <laughs> But, but we just started talking about geek stuff and eventually Marvel saw me and they were like, hey, we like you, you should come in and audition. And I did, and, and here we are. So yeah, very close, actually. Wow, that is crazy. Um, 
before we, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your improv years, uh, aside from the inherent awesomeness of the improv experience while you're doing it. Um, what, what do you feel like improv gave you from where you are now? What do you look back at and think, oh, thank God for improv? So much, honestly. I, so I came to New York to be an actor. That was sort of what I was going towards. I was a writer and I like to write things and I, but I ultimately was kind of like, I want to perform. Mm -hmm. And I'd done a ton of theater and I ended up being in equity and doing, you know, jobs here and there, which if you've never been a theater actor professionally, essentially that means that you get a job every six weeks and you travel somewhere else. Uh, and if you don't get a job somewhere else, you like wait tables or yeah. work a day job. And I realized very quickly that that wasn't really the life that I craved and that I ultimately wanted to be more creative for myself. I didn't really want to keep reading other people's words as much. And then I kind of was like, well, I'm going to take a break from this. I'm going to reconfigure what I'm doing with my life. And I found improv again. I had done some in high school. I did comedy sports in high school, oh, which wow. I loved. It was yeah. super fun. But I, I started taking classes uh, at UCB and the pit, and I was just like, I love this. I can play any part. It doesn't matter what I look like. I can be like a 20-something girl at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I can be a 20-something girl or young lady and, and play like a big buff bouncer yeah. at, at a bar. I can play an, like an old woman. I can play a child. I can play anything because it's... The only limit is my imagination, and I loved that. And because I have a writer spirit in my heart, I was like, I want to be writing on my feet. And it, to me, it's like the ultimate game. Yeah. Also, like I'm a big fan of board games. I love D and D, and to me, it's a game because you're just like, okay, what's the best thing that happens next? How can I make this the next step of that game? And there's some part of me that is like a border collie. You know how border collies like get bored if there's nothing going on and they start getting into stuff? That's, I'm the same way. So that's what improv gave me. It just gave me a, the right channel for my thoughts. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. That is exactly the speech I gave my improv class last really? week, which is a lot like, look, I know who you think you are right now, but don't you see you can do anything? So for the love of God, please stop playing yourself in every scene. <laughs> Um, that, that, of course, was a big, fat-loaded question um, because as someone who started classes myself in, like, 97, um, and then I met my wife taking classes and, yeah, and has been performing and teaching ever since, then I feel like I owe virtually every uh, positive creative element in my life to improv in a way. It just sort of becomes weird religion in yeah, a way. Yeah, I feel that way, too. Yeah. All right, so let's, uh, let's spin officially closer towards Marvel. Um, uh, here's how we'll begin. The Marvel Unlimited service, which anyone can subscribe to and read Marvel comics online until your eyes start shooting red lasers. That's the real origin of Cyclops, everyone. That's a true story. Um, it lists uh, and is currently celebrating the fact that it is 25,000 issues strong. Lorraine, how many would you estimate you have read? Oh, my gosh. I have <laughs> no idea. I've read so many. I feel like there was a time... Because Marvel Unlimited is constantly adding new stuff and yeah. old stuff. So, yeah. like, they're usually a few months behind what's coming out weekly. Uh, and there was a time when I was like, I feel like I think I've read everything on here. And I was waiting for new stuff to be added. But now so much stuff has been added from old, old, old days. Yeah. I, I feel like I have to go back. Because there are things I read 
like in the actual 90s, but I was like too young. (laughs) So I feel like I need to go back and read some things because I go back and read a lot of things I read as a kid and I'm like, I (laughs) don't remember that. Is that how that goes? Oh, they got murdered. Okay. (laughs) All right. That makes more sense. No, I'm totally with you. I I feel like I do that a lot with, uh, so my, my, I've got two kids and my oldest is 14 now. Nope. Um, and uh, when I sift through, like, the mountain of comic books that I have in my basement, like, what's this would be a great read and perfectly appropriate for him. And oh, my God, this Wolverine <laughs> limited series from 84 definitely should. Like, why was I reading this when I was 12 or whatever? Um, so uh, so I feel like I'm legally obligated to talk to you about favorite characters and favorite series and that sort of thing. I think I know the answers to these already. I think we have the same answers. Lorraine. Oh. So, so hit me with favorite character. Is it or is it not the character that appears on the back of your book and her theme song is written out in its entirety? That is correct. It's Squirrel Girl, Brian Q. North. I have to say his, his book, I had always dreamed about a Squirrel Girl book coming around and I like had all these ideas and I was like, I know what I want a Squirrel Girl book to be. And then Ryan wrote that book and I was like, oh no, this is better than anything I'd ever dreamed. Because I just, he's talking about really complex things that people deal with in therapy in like a funny, hilarious way that's full of heart. And if you don't get any of the emotional lessons or the emotional intelligence, you're still like, this is fun. Yeah. Like you don't need to get any of of the deeper stuff, you know? Um, uh, I actually interviewed him. He's been on the podcast and is amazing. I uh, feel the exact same way. This is a book that I brought home for my kid years ago, and he's like, Squirrel Girl, I don't know about this. And it is, it is like a holy text in our house now. Um, I think that, I don't know if it was Erica Henderson's last mm-hmm. issue yeah. as an artist. I cried. If, yeah. if it was like it was the one where they were like stuck together, like in a moment you, in time. Yeah, for, yeah. About how they were like, we looked, don't you look different or something? They like made some little winky nod to oh. it in the next issue. Yeah. I know, so beautiful. And their relationship as creators is so beautiful. And I love that Erica, her style was so perfect for that book and for what it was. And yeah. I think really set the tone of what that book would be right in a way i i think artists never get enough notice because we're used to like mm. celebrating the word the yeah, words yeah, but yeah. you don't even realize because you're just like oh my eyes like alice x saying who worked on my book it's like that book wouldn't be that book without alice mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and i think it's i just love their their creator friendship because they like or they have such creator love together. Yeah. It's so yeah. nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when we when we first started talking about scheduling this interview, you mentioned, oh, I'm going to be traveling for a couple of weeks. I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. And we said we'd, you know, do when you got back, which we have. Hooray, good for us. Uh, but then I'd see your adventures on social media. And in the small period of time that you were traveling, um, so you made a series of stops at bookstores and comic stores mm-hmm. to promote the book. Uh, you participated in some... Disney creators event thing in Orlando Uh, and you know for kicks in LA hosted the red carpet at Captain Marvel uh, premiere Lorraine you slacker what the heck I like as I mentioned I'm a border collie (laughs) so I like to keep really busy yeah yeah that it honestly was crazy the so the week of Captain Marvel I did the premiere, I flew to New York, I shot for a day in New York, I flew to Orlando, I was in Orlando for a day, I flew to LA, I did a couple things there, flew back to New York, did a signing there. So it's just been really 
excited. I mean, honestly, it's really invigorating. Everyone's like, aren't you exhausted? I'm like, I, you know, my body clock's confused, but I actually feel pretty great, you know, and getting to do signings, especially is like very invigorating. It's a lot of work to get ready for a premiere because you have to memorize who like 50 people are and have great questions for them and know what you're going to do with them. And you have to be able to all do it like seamlessly, like nothing's happening or like, like it's just so easy and effortless, you know? Whereas when you go to a signing, you just show up as yourself and your (laughs) normal clothes and you're like, Hey, let's talk to some people who are going to be excited to meet you. Like it's couldn't be cooler. Um, we're going to talk about the book for sure, but since you brought up the premiere, I want to, I want to spin to that really quickly. Um, it is not your first red carpet hosting gig, of course, doing Captain Marvel. Um, but I'm guessing that an event like that, does it feel immense? Does it ever not feel immense? It always feels huge. And it's, it's funny because it feels very surreal. You're just getting ready and you're like, I'm just going to do some interviews. And that's kind of normal when you're hosting, but Mm -hmm. It does feel like when you're you're part of something really big. I know, like at the premiere for Marvel Studios Black Panther, I was like, oh, this is a moment in history. Like mm. literally, this is a moment. I felt that way also at the Captain Marvel premiere. I'm like, I am witnessing, like, not just not just like fandom or Hollywood or whatever, because all of those things are exciting sure, too. Sure. But like, this is really going to be a moment in culture forever. Yeah. And I get to be here and see it, which is yeah. just kind of mind-blowing. Absolutely. Did, what's the process for preparing for an event like that? Do you, have a, do you have a good sense of who you're likely to talk to and interview, and so therefore you're all kinds of prepared? And I, and I ask partly because on the live stream, you were talking to, um, I hope I pronounce her name right, Pinar Toprak, mm-hmm. the composer of mm-hmm. Captain Marvel. Um, and you had some really specific questions about like musical time signatures or something that I thought, oh wow, this is a, uh, this is uh, Lorraine is a super genius probably, mm-hmm. and or she maybe knew that Pinar was going to be here talking to her. Um, so how how much of a heads up do you get about who you think you're going to get, and how much is like, oh hello? It's such a, a toss up in a lot of ways. You usually know who's worked on the film, yeah. and you they generally have like kind of an RSVP list, so you kind of know mm. who's going to be there. But there's also so I've worked both podiums because we have two podiums going at all times. Sometimes right. you're on the first podium where you're getting all of the main talent for the film, and then there's another podium where you'll either get other people from the film who maybe just didn't get to the first sure. podium for whatever reason, or they'll get a lot of TV talent. So when you're on the second podium, that is like a gauntlet of memory because you have like a <laughs> hundred people from like every show and every place. Yeah. You know, I was on the second podium for Marvel Studios Avengers Infinity War and Bob Iger, who is the head of Disney, just kind of like strolled up and he's like, Hey, I'm here. And I was like, Hey Bob, let's oh, hang yeah. out. You know? Yeah. Um, But that's like the thing that's really fun and exciting is you never know who's going to show up there. And there are times where you're just like, oh, so-and-so's here. Come on up. You know, like, uh, of course, if you have somebody like Stan Lee, you're always going to be like, even if he didn't say he was coming, you're going to have him come on up. And I'm lucky that I'm in this world all the time. So I'm pretty knowledgeable about who most people are and what they're doing and all of that stuff. But yeah, it, it's um, it's always a, a grab bag. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, if there was a bit of a surprise, and it sounds like second podium is sometimes the place where that happens, mm-hmm. then I, I realized I had visions of Anne Hathaway hovering over you, your shoulder, like Devil Wears Prada style, <laughs> whispering like, this is Ben Davis, he's the cinematographer, this is his fourth MCU film. Hello, Benjamin! 
Uh, <laughs> I wish that person existed yeah, for right. me. That would be so nice, but that never happens. Sure. Most of the time what happens, like at the last premiere, the talent was actually, all of the actors and stuff would come up behind me mm. because of the way our stage was configured <laughs> for that one. So I would be talking and I'd turn around and, and I'd be like, Ben Mendelsohn, huh? Hey, oh, you 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 play Talos, who's this the scroll? Great, okay, great. Right. You know, but you're it is such a quiz because also a lot of people don't realize you don't know these people in real life. Yeah. So whenever you see somebody for the first time in real life, you're like, oh, what do you like? What do you really look like when I see you yes, right in front of me? Yes, yes. Even if you've seen a million pictures of somebody, it's always it's a little bit different. Absolutely. So you know. Also blessing to so many people because I know like hosts get stumped all the time and it is a hard job. I don't think they that hosts get enough credit, not because I am one because, but just because it's like an insane just thing to expect of people. I can't remember people at a party, yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. So doing it uh, like on a live stream with thousands of people watching is, you know. Sure. Of course. And you can course. also prep a little better than for a party. But yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, uh, I'm going to give you all that credit as the host, and I will uh, uh, complaint mail can come to me selfishly because I, um, I was the East Coast junket guy for Fandango for like four years. Oh, wow. um, and would always prepare way too much, like deep into the wee hours, just because like you didn't want to be in that position. Like something's going to come up in this four minutes that I have with this person know, that I'm going to look like an idiot. Three questions. Yeah, exactly. Before someone's like, two, one minute, we'll wrap it up. Um, and, and then, of course, every once in a while, they'd be like, oh, we're going to start you with so-and-so. And you're like, that person was never on the like sifting through. Oh, like, yeah. oh, come on. And you make it work, of course, but that's a fantastic feeling. <laughs> my, my first interview ever in life was a junket, and Nick Cage was the first person yeah. I ever interviewed, which I still... That's a great way to start, Lorraine. <laughs> that's awesome. It still blows my mind, though, because I was just like a new baby host, and they were like, I got there to the junket, and there were a lot of, there were a lot of people that were lesser known in the film. Sure. And they were like, all right, go sit down whenever you're ready. And I, and they're like, you're good to go? I'm like, yeah. And they were like, great, Nick is ready for you. And I was like, who, what? Ah, I'm here. And I was just like, all right, here we go. Way to start. First interview ever, Nick Cage. What, what was the outlet? Uh, it was for Marvel. Oh, because, really? Yeah, because I didn't do interviews before. I was a talking head oh. and a comedian. So, like, you know, I do comedy bits or I do written explainer bits. Was this for a spirit of vengeance? It was. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> so, so here's how deeply freaky this might be. We may have passed each other in the hallway <laughs> at that junket. Um, That's so funny. That's crazy. I love that. Yeah. Um, that was not a bad junket because, yeah. um, so he was on it and, um, Idris Elba was, was on it and I don't remember <laughs> after that who was on that junket, but yeah, really. it's been a while. I mean, that was many years ago it now. It was many years ago. I think that's six or seven at yeah. least. Yeah. That was right when I started hosting for Marvel. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I will also, I might regret this again, send the complaint emails to Brad Barton. Um, I kind of weirdly like that movie. I mean, I know, I know that everyone else is like, this is, this is the like pinnacle of crazy pants, but that's sort of why I like it. And I think it sort of ties into the improv gene in a way. It was like, 
if you're going to get weird, go really weird. And these guys in true Nick Cage fashion are like, well, this is ridiculous. And for that reason, I kind of like it. But I can't remember the name of the filmmakers right now. I'm totally blanking on it. So send your complaint yeah. mail to me. <laughs> but the, the thing that was so crazy and amazing about that like the production and the things oh, yeah. that they were doing was revolutionary. Oh, yeah. Like say whatever you want about how you feel about the property. Like they were hanging off of cliffs and building machinery yeah. in the making yes, of it I love that. to do all kinds of, of, of amazing things mm-hmm. as directors of photography and, and as directors. And I just thought, I was like, that's, incredible also yeah. Idris Elba's in it who's yeah. like a, a charm machine so how is, could anything be wrong and that was like the early days of Idris Elba too when everyone's yeah. like who is this magical being who yeah. yeah like sucks everyone's eyeballs to him at every moment yeah and Luther I think at that point was like a brand new show right. that America was just kind of getting like right. oh have you heard right. of Luther yeah totally, yeah totally. And now he's like a mega star yeah not too shabby, Andrew Selba. Well done. We approve. Um, all right, let's talk about the book. Holy cow, Powers yeah. of a Girl. It is such a fun read. Um, would you be so kind as to describe what the book is and the mission statement for those that might not know of it yet? Let's educate the masses. Sure. Um, so Powers of a Girl is the retelling of many Marvel's Uh, of Marvel's greatest female superheroes. And it's told in a way to inspire and empower uh, young people with their tales. So it explores a lot of the attributes of a superhero because what makes a superhero is not actually superpowers. We have superheroes that don't have any sort of superpowers. Mm -hmm. They are just people who do good. uh, And sometimes in spite of their faults or mistakes. Uh, And so I thought that was really important because anybody can be a hero. Yeah. Amen, sister. Um, The flow of the book is really great. Uh, It's one of my favorite bits. It's not that you're not going to want to sit down and scarf down the whole thing at once, flirkin' style, but um, it also lends itself beautifully to just flipping around and landing on an entry or one of the lists or the text message um, uh, threads within an entry and reading it a la carte. So um, it's a fun casual read if that's how you prefer to read your books, everyone. Um, and I second what you just said about um, real life superheroes because you do have some beautiful shout outs to, to real life folks in there. Um, astronaut Mae Jemison in the Ironheart entry, for example, um, to really help link the, the stories of the Marvel characters to the real world. I dig that. I like that a lot. Um, your Pun game is Olympic level, Lorraine. Oh my God! Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Let's let's get it. so so brief aside for the listeners. Uh, I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, but um, I have the privilege of of writing copy for the Marvel Top Ten video series. I love doing it. I'm so thrilled to do it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a blast. Um, and when I was getting started with it, um, one of the directives that I got was, hey, you know what, don't be afraid to lean into the puns. That's, you know, and, and I'd seen the videos before, like, yeah, okay, I see it, I get it. Uh, but but now, honestly, now that I've been exposed to some, like, omega-level wordplay in, in this book, all right, so here's my best example. Uh, in the book, you're talking about um, Squirrel Girl's crime-fighting buddy Koi Boy, and you mentioned his skill at fishtacuffs, and at that point, I feel like, do you just drop the mic and walk away? I mean, <laughs> why am I even trying to compare with fish to cuffs? Can I tell you something sad about that very <laughs> sentence? Is that I literally went back and There's looked. nothing sad about that. 
I, I went and looked back at a bunch of Squirrel Girl comics to make sure that Ryan hadn't already oh. written that pun. And I was like, I don't see it anywhere. It's mine. And like, you know, because there are plenty of things that I take from the authors who write about those characters because yeah. it's canon and it's part of their mythos. But I was very proud. <laughs> I have to admit that I was like, oh, man, Koi Boy's got to have fish to cuffs. I can't believe you really did scoop <laughs> really, Ryan North on that. I really did check. I was like, I want to know if that's really for me because it's so fun. It's, yeah. And, and it does seem like it is dripping right from the Canadian pen of Ryan North, Good ultimately. Uh, how I know that you've gotten this question before because I've seen it on other interviews um, so you're welcome in advance <laughs> how did you decide uh, which characters make the final cut who's banished to the negative zone and please describe in detail the agony of making those cuts because of course there are some biggies that are not in this book that I'm sure everyone's like where's my storm where's Jane where's Jane Grey yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean that's a whole other book that maybe will happen someday. I don't know. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed. I mean, that's the thing. It is so hard. I mean, it's, some of it is that what characters are available to Disney. It was created mm. by Disney Press. Um, and some of it was also deciding, well, like this character has like a really gritty, dark backstory do I want that to be a, like, is that really appropriate for a YA crowd? Yeah. Let's read the entry on Electra, shall we? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so some of those are a little bit too dark and I felt like it wasn't super age appropriate without me kind of hiding who the character was and I didn't sure. want to misinform, Yeah. you know? So ultimately I was like, these characters, like, I know some people are like, why did you choose the unstoppable wasp instead of Janet Van Dyne, mm. the wasp? Janet Van Dyne is one of the most important Marvel Avengers ever, 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 ever. Yep. Um, but I was like, you know, I think for this book, the Unstoppable Wasp story is something I really want to get into because she's a woman of STEM. She's relatable to a younger audience. So like those were the agonizing things you have to do where you're sure. like, okay, this is the right thing for the for the right audience, sure, you know? Sure, sure. And, and they don't know about Janet Van Dyne and they will learn some stuff about Janet Van Dyne, but, yeah. you know... This book is a little bit for a younger audience. Right. Well, and 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 there's a, clearly a lot of the choices, whether intentional or not. I mean, lean somewhat heavily, and this isn't a bad thing, but on like what's big now. I mean, there's a lot of you know, as I'm I'm looking, the book is right in front of me right now, and as I look at the covers, so you know, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel is there, and America, uh, and Ironheart, and Spider Gwen, and a lot of very now now characters, which I can't blame you for for going that direction if in fact that's even a choice in, in it yeah i mean we definitely you know you want to go with what people love yeah. sure, sure, <laughs> you want right. to give people what they want right. and also these characters like all these characters that are on the front like there were some things that we decided to do because of the films like we decided to go with a valkyrie image that was more yeah, inspired by tessa thompson's right, portrayal right, right. in the films than you would see in the traditional comics you know and some of that stuff we were like yeah we want to embrace popular culture and we want also like a lot of kids aren't going to be like oh valkyrie was like a big scandinavian lady yeah, right. You know, she they're not going to get that. that. In the movie. Yeah, they're going to yeah. be like, no, she's the badass from uh, Thor Ragnarok yeah. who, like, dragged around the Hulk like it was nothing. Yeah. Like, so you want people to have that kind of frame of understanding. So, yeah, some of it you do. You want, you want people to feel included and welcome. I think sure. that's the biggest thing. It's not so much, like, what's hot, but it's, like, what will give people... Sure 
an open door because this stuff is intimidating. There are 25,000 comics on Marvel Unlimited and people go, oh, I'm never going to get all of this stuff. Marvel's been around for 80 years. How am I going to get it all? But you can if you just have the right entry point. Right, right. You mentioned earlier the illustrations uh, by Alex S. Zhang. They are, of course, amazing. Um, I've loved her work since she started doing her uh, Doctor Who covers five or six years ago. They were so, like, you know, your eyes cry, which t- typically eyes do yeah, cry. Yeah, they do cry. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm not good at the science. Um, how, how did Alice come to the book? How did you guys get hooked up? Uh, I began working with an amazing editor named Alexandra West, and she and I talked about what kind of style of artist, and we had a few in mind, but we thought, oh, this is really like a great style that is a little bit different than comics. We didn't want it to feel necessarily like a comic book. We were, for all of our artists, we were looking at someone a little bit more painterly uh, in styling and also I think a style that was kind of more appealing towards girls, you know, mm-hmm. use some bigger eyes and softer hair and those kinds of things are inviting and we liked somebody who could do that and it felt inviting to a female audience. So we looked at a few artists and Alice was by far our favorite and we just got so lucky that she could do it. <laughs> and this is her biggest book. I mean, she hasn't done anything of this scope before and I, she, wow. she you should follow her on Instagram, honestly. Um, because just watching her talk about her process and I was such a jerk as a writer because I was like, oh, well, what if we had a little spot illustration of this? And what if we just like had a little illustration of this? And I think they put in about a third of what I wanted because I wanted everything because she's incredible. But yeah, she did just an insane amount of work on this book. She created over a hundred pieces for for Powers of a Girl. Um, Can you talk about her, your reaction as her art was coming in. I mean, I've talked to other authors before and they're like, <gasps> when, they, when they finally see like their words or their characters or whatever the case might be come to life. Um, I think I saw the first, the very first thing I saw was the Captain Marvel portrait because both her and I um, were trying to send out early pages to go out and in for promotional purposes and, you know, pre-screening type stuff. And it was like the moment that this book became real. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, this is real and it's going to be beautiful. And then they finally sent me the first cover and I fully cried. And it's the cover essentially as it is now, more or less. Mm-hmm. And I, we had a, originally we were going to maybe just do the cover with Captain Marvel. And then they, we decided to go with like this more patchworky feel, but I just saw it and I was like, this is exactly what I want it to be. It's like beautiful and every single person on it is different in all kinds of ways from nationality to ethnicity to power to personality. I, I just had a full cry and my fiance, at this time, my boyfriend just kind of sat down. He was like, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if you see the book, you know, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Well, I, I will give you uh, a whole pile of credit uh, in that um, the the message of the book is, is really solid um, and not lost on me. And between flipping through the book a lot uh, over the last week or so, and also um, sharing 
into the Spider-Verse with the rest of my family, which of course is everyone can wear the mask. And a lot of this book is like, everyone's got this inside of them. You just have to know. Uh, it was uh, getting me, getting me where it counts. I must admit, just sharing all that with my family, of course. Uh, it's always it's always very weird to write a book because it feels extremely vulnerable. Like you're suddenly like, I'm just putting these words out, and I'm saying like, hey, I wrote a book, and like I hope you like it. So it, it does feel very nice to hear, um, because I think it is sort of scary. You know, there are lines that I, I wrote in there where I'm just like, you are valid and you are worthy. And I wanted to make sure to say those things, but then you kind of, there's some part of you that's like a CNN anemone that, or you're like, please don't think I'm stupid, <laughs> you know? And I don't know that that feeling sure. 100% goes away, but um, it, it has been really nice to see it matter to people. Good. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you get that opportunity. That's, that's huge. Um, as we wrap up, in honor of the, uh, the fun games that you guys play on Earth's Mightiest Show, uh, I've created a little something that ties our whole conversation together. It's right in your wheelhouse. Um, if you decide to accept the challenge, Lorraine, this game is called Improv Group or Obscure 1980s Marvel Comic Book Series. Oh my God, I accept. <laughs> I hope that they are, I, I don't know which is better, honestly. I can't wait. I, I uh, even as I was going through this, uh, there are a few that uh, these are some groups that I want to see the comic book adaptation, and then some comics that I'm like, how is this not a group? I feel like I'm gonna get these all wrong, and I'm <laughs> very here for it. Uh, I so of course I'm gonna tell you a title. You tell me if it's the name of a New York improv group, current or defunct, <laughs> or if it's a distant memory in the Marvel back catalog. If it makes it any more painful. Uh, it is possible that all of the comic books are all from the epic line. Oh, God. <laughs> I definitely barely know. That's great. All right. All right. Bring, let the obscurities begin. Um, number one, which, uh, uh, well, I, I won't editorialize. Number one is Dreadstar. Dreadstar? I'm going to go with Marvel comic. It is a Marvel comic. Um, a big, good Jim Starlin comic from, from back in the day. Uh, number two, Cowbot. That has to be an improv group. That it, has to be. It is an improv group. <laughs> yep, that was one of the early UCB house teams, I think. Um, number three, Interface. I'm going to go with Marvel Comic. You are correct. It I is a Marvel it. Comic. It is so obscure. I was just leafing through it, and I cannot even describe it to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, number four, Pod. Oh, improv team. Oh, improv. You say that with such confidence, do you know? I, I don't, honestly, but it just sounds... They're, like, one-word improv team names are really in right now, so I just assume it's a... Well, that was my improv team from back in the day, so th I'm going to pretend that your recognition was like, oh, yeah, I loved you guys. I watched you every Saturday night. Uh, the Boz Chronicles. Ooh, the Boz Chronicles? I'm going to go with improv team. It's a comic! Oh, oh no! no. So here. close. So close and yet so far. Um, what was that about? That was, um, oh, God, I'm going to forget the artist's name. Um, really uh, distinct stylistically, and he did a lot of cloak and dagger in, like, the mid to late 80s. <sighs> I'm going to forget. So it was, like, a weird big alien-y guy, a big yellow alien dude, but it took place in, like, um, uh, like the 1700s or 18, 1700s England. 
So it was like trying to hide a sort like, and of course there were private investigators or some weird thing like that. See, I should go back and Brett read Brett Blevins, that, that was the artist. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, no, I should go back and read some of those things because like when I said, I'm so like crazy. the stuff like when I was a little kid or yeah. like around that time, no memory of it. And also when it's not part of the Marvel canon, I'm like, I'm, I'm not yeah, as oh, stressed sure, about it. Sure. You know what I mean? Totally. But I should go back and read those because that sounds great. Oh, it's so, so nutty. Uh, it worked from what I remember. Um, Centralia. That is an improv team. A bunch of my friends have been yeah. on it. Yeah. They're, they're my heroes. Um, and I'm so lucky I've gotten to work with a bunch of those crazy bastards. Um, Swarm. Also an improv team. Yeah. Yeah. But also a Marvel character. Yes. So, twofer. No. <laughs> Clearly, it's the comic it's book Nazi of the gut. Bees. Yeah, you can't right. forget a Nazi made of bees. It's the bee guy. All right. Uh, our final, our, our exciting conclusion Steel Grip Starkey and the All Purpose Power Tool. Well, I'm going to think that's Nate Starkey's team and not a Marvel comic. That is how I thought I might catch you with no. it is a comic book. Ha ha ha. Diabolical Nate Starkey, laugh. You terrible person. Now that you've moved to Los Angeles, I can say mean things about you. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, uh, we're going to launch the confetti cannons. Well done. Oh. Congratulations. Well, more rights than wrongs, at least. No, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Steel grip, grip Starkey? Steel Grip Starkey and the all purpose power tool, which is my, like, my favorite go to when I'm playing. I've done this with other improvisers, actually. We just play the other, you know, comic book nerds. Just going back and forth with like, all right, how about this obscurity? And like, I see your US one and raise you, you know, whatever, visionaries or some licensed property. We just terrorize each other with obscure titles. That is great. Yeah. That is so good. It's, it's pretty deeply nerdy too. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. So um, awesome. So thank you. You're thank the best. You. Uh, where can people on the interwebs follow your exciting adventures? Would that be the Facebook and Twitters and such? Yeah. Um, you can follow me on social media. It's at Lorraine Sink everywhere. Sink is spelled with a C. Don't be deceived. <laughs> it is said Sink. It has a C. Uh, constant confusion for people. <laughs> a lot of people want my last name to be Clink. It continues to what? not be. No. Yeah. Well, everybody's got to have have their thing. But yeah. um, And of course, you should watch Earth's Mightiest Show. It's Thursdays on Marvel.com, the Marvel Minutes every Monday. Really just like Marvel.com, the Marvel YouTube, yeah. the Marvel Twitter. Just start looking around. You'll find her. Yeah. She's there. She's there. Uh, and of course, uh, for God's sake, Powers of a Girl is in finer bookstores near you right now. And uh, it's it's a blast. You need to read it. And um, thanks for writing it. And thanks for the time. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope that uh, people enjoy it. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Geekawads. Many thanks to my guests Lorraine Sink, Jeff Beck at Eastside Mags in Montclair, New Jersey, and the enthusiastic Bat fans featured on this episode. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? And what deserves to be sent out in a faulty Gungan bongo into the planet core? You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. 
On Twitter, I'm at 121GigaWatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore GigaWatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 GigaWatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Get thee to www.121gigawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. And while you're nerding around on the internet, be sure to visit marvel.com where you can find more of my work as the writer of the Marvel Top 10 video series. The most recent episodes include Top 10 Dark Magicians and Top 10 Thor Villains, two lists which both include a certain Asgardian who has excellent taste in helmets and whose name rhymes with Floki. Who could it be? Visit marvel.com to see who made the cut. Hey, did you know that every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section on iTunes? It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. And while you're visiting iTunes, you can help us out. Whether you're a subscriber or not, I would be so grateful if you left the show a review on iTunes, hopefully a good one, which will help more like-minded listeners find the show. If you're not an iTunes user, you can also find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com or on Player FM. You clearly found us on one of those platforms, so congratulations. Browse the episodes listed there and check out another one. I'll even make a recommendation. If you enjoyed this episode's interview with Lorraine Sink, I encourage you to check out episode number nine when I spoke with Ryan North, the writer of Marvel's Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Lorraine and I talked him up all over this place in this episode, and I enthusiastically encourage you to find out for yourself what this Ryan North business is all about. That's episode number nine of 1.21 Gigawatts. Give it a listen as soon as you finish this one. Huge gratitude to His Excellency of the XLR Cable, composer and my co-producer David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome rocking out with the 1.21 Geekawatts theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. What every geek wants is what we got From Doctor Who to Aqualad You might meet Luke and Leia's dad Pop culture that is super rad Hosted by some guy named Brad It'll rock you to your nylon Cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts Watching the watcher, and we're more than just a few. And if you are watching the watcher, then you know it's watching you. So come on, join.